Well, it is a gift to be with you. As Misty said, my name's Christian Ann. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I've actually known Rob for quite a while. The first time I met Rob, he was jumping onto a stage at Trout Lake Camp in a Spider-Man costume. Um, sounds like him. I heard someone say that. Yep, yep. <clears throat> and it was a sermon series on some like superheroes of the Bible thing. And so who wants to bring that one back here? No, no hands, no, no uh, Rob back in Spider-Man outfit. I don't know. My son would have thought that's really cool. Uh, he's really into Spider-Man. So I also am going to tease Rob a little bit because of course he brings me here to talk about grief and loss. Like, hit, give me the, the big heavy hitter. I mean, he's off. I don't actually know where he is. He's probably doing something important. But, you know, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He just asked me to be here tonight. But, um, yeah, as Misty said, um, I'm, uh, I live in North Minneapolis with my family. And my husband, J.D., and I co-pastor a church called North City Church that's actually meeting right now. And if you hear my stomach grumbling, we are used to eating dinner together. So I'm a little disappointed. I did smell some chili out there. So I don't know whose that is, but I might be having some afterwards. Um, but yeah, so tonight we are diving into what can be a very hard topic, which is enlarging our soul, God enlarging our soul through grief and loss. And I'm bizarrely excited to talk about it, if I can say that. Like, I actually did my first full-on funeral, and I loved doing it. So I'm kind of weird. Like, I'm just going to, like, lay it out there. I, I'm weird because I think this is so important. I think it's so important, and it's so meaningful. And so it's a meaningful thing when you get to participate in people's lives during these difficult times. And that's actually what the church can do. And so this evening, we're gonna look at grief and loss from a scriptural perspective, from a cultural perspective, and from a psychosomatic perspective, which is just a fancy way of saying your brain and your body, because those two are connected, even though sometimes we act like they're not. And I'm currently in school to get uh, a master's in marriage and family therapy. And so if you feel like you're in a counseling room tonight, it's gonna feel like that a little bit, and I apologize, but you're gonna hear me geek out a little bit. And so Pastor CA is gonna come out and Counselor Christian Ann's gonna come out. But before we do that, <clears throat> let me pray. God, as we welcomed you here through our worship, through our song, God, we welcome you here in the quiet. God, we pray because our whole globe has experienced grief <clears throat> and loss in ways that we can't even fathom and ways that might be so, so personal because of this COVID-19 crisis we've been through coming up on two and a half, three years. And that's not to mention the the people that might come to mind right now as we think about our losses. And God, you know what's happening in the country of Ukraine. You know the intimate details that breaks hearts and lives and how lives have been lost. Brokenness is not hard to find. But God, I pray that in as we maybe sharpen our glasses to see things through your eyes tonight. <clears throat> you would help us to be vulnerable with you. 
It doesn't help us, God, to pretend that we know you better than we do. So help us come honestly to you tonight as we wonder about maturing, letting you enlarge our soul. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. So, we're going to put up a picture up there of my family because, you know, you guys saw Rosie, who I was sitting with, but this is, this is them. And I always feel like it's helpful to get to know the, the person who's speaking just a little bit. And um, I became a parent five years ago, and you might be thinking, wait a second, she looks like she's six, because she is. Um, we had the privilege of adopting Rosie, and... Um, well, I'm not going to go into her story. I'm going to share a little bit more about kind of my experience of literally jumping into parenthood. And, you know, while we had, I think, 20, 30 hours of classes that we needed to, to jump into to say, oh, how are we going to be these amazing foster parents? We didn't know if we would foster or adopt or what the order of that would be. Uh, no one just prepares you for what it is like to be a parent. Right? Any anyone just like give me a hand out there? Right? Yes. Okay. I'm not. I'm not crazy. Um, and so you know, there's all this joy. There's just an amazing ability that you're connecting with your child, whether it's through adoption or or birth, and then just no one prepares you of the loss of your own freedom. Right? <laughs> like all of a sudden it's just gone, and you have all this responsibility instead. Like it's just this swift trade-off. And all of a sudden, like at seven o'clock, I'm exhausted. <laughs> like I'm exhausted and um, I'm picking up a lot of toys, like every night, like every night. And the so cleanliness is kind of lost. And um, I don't know how many bodily functions, like this, just this past weekend I cleaned up. So like loss of my own, like normally I'm just cleaning up my own bodily functions before children, but like then you just really clean up everybody else's. Um, and I won't go into detail there. But um, all the nice things, like don't have nice things if you're a parent. That's what I've learned. That's just like the general rule. Like four picture frames in one week were broken by different kids. It's like they were all ganging up against me. I don't know. And then there's things like, you know, I was, we were able to, uh, we wanted to have biological kids. We were able to do that. We have two more boys. So for me as a woman, I experience a loss of sort of governance and um, autonomy over my own body. What a gift to be able to grow a baby. I, I mean, that's just an amazing gift. But you know, then, then they're with you <laughs> all the time. And they always want you. And then I was nursing. And so there's, there's, you're responsible for feeding this child. And then no one tells you about the loss of friendship and how lonely parenting can feel. Oh, and then, you know, put that in the context of a pandemic and everyone feeling lonely as well in that, not knowing how to navigate that. There's so many ways in our lives that loss comes up. And that's just one. Over the past five years, I feel like I've wondered how could something be so joyful and so difficult at the same time? And there's so much loss of control. Maybe there's a transition that you just went through in your job. Maybe 
you've just felt a loss of control and the rise of anxiety because of the last couple years. And so it's not just when someone dies in our life. I think that's what often comes up in this grief and loss. It's the ambiguous stuff that we can't always put a finger on. Loss and grief are not hard to find. It's being able to see them that way. And so today, today we're going to look at a scripture in 2 Corinthians. And we're going to read the scripture because Paul is pastoring this church. He had just visited this church in Corinth. And um, I really see him trying to help the Corinthians process their lives. Um, kind of make sense of the loss that they might be experiencing. Paul, Paul isn't super pastoral. He's not really known for that. <laughs> you know, he's not the shepherd type that's going to like bring you over and say, wow, it's really hard. But this is a very important scripture to help us understand. And we're going to sing a song later that really talks about this as well. But I see him seeking to pastor this church into maturity. Much of what you guys are, are trying to do in, is grow in maturity in your faith. And Corinth, the context of where they're at, and Rome, the Roman Empire at the time, you know, they were known for seeking pleasure first and foremost. And, and if anything was hard, it was only hard for the non-male people, meaning everybody but the men, right? So it was like pleasure and priority was given to men, and then everybody else was suffering at, at their expense as well. But that was the priority. That was assumed that would be good. So that's kind of the context that they're in, that this letter is being written to. So if you read this letter, at first he's very distressed because they've drifted away from core truths of the gospel. They've watered it down. And so in our language, I feel like Paul is just taking on this personal plea to these people to bring them to a Christian maturity. Or what we'd say, he wants them to become Adults, adulting. This is called Christian maturity adulting, right? That's what we would joke about today. But he's trying to explain how maturity doesn't come without losses, grief, persecution, and pain. And the pain that, you know, if he references here, sometimes it was physical because there was physical persecution. But this one he's naming is a lot more emotional. So we're going to read from 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. And I really encourage you to read it another time from um, the top of the chapter, starting in verse 1. We're going to pick it up at verse 7. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, not crushed, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be visible in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, 
but life in you. In some translations, it says all the more. So what does Paul want us to hear in this text? I think he wants us to hear just this almost record of Jesus's life. He looked, Jesus was afflicted. Jesus was persecuted. He was perplexed. You think, well, how was Jesus perplexed? He was God and human. He was human. There were times he didn't know what to do. Should I turn this, this stone into bread as, as, the, you know, as Satan was tempting him? How should I use my power that God's given me? And he was persecuted. He was put to the test. There was loss. He lost his best friend in Lazarus. It says Jesus wept. He had to look at his mom and know that he was dying in front of her. We see and we hear the life of Jesus and the death of Jesus in here. And that's why I think he says, take up your cross and follow me because we are invited to hear that invitation for us too. We'll be afflicted, we'll be persecuted, we will be perplexed. Jesus lived, died, and was resurrected <clears throat> not to prevent our losses. Not to prevent our losses, but to transform our pain and our losses into something new. There's a quote from Peter Scazzaro. If, if you've followed any of his other readings with emotionally healthy spirituality, this, this guy got on a kick. If you want a discipleship curriculum, he's got it for you. Like he has done his, some of his best life work around this stuff. And I love this quote. He says, we all face many deaths in our lives. Our culture routinely interprets these losses and griefs as alien invasions and interruptions into our normal lives. So the choice is whether these deaths will be terminal, crushing our spirit and our life, or will open us up to these new possibilities and depths of transformation in Christ. Staying with Jesus during these challenging times, remaining, abiding, communing with him makes all the difference. I love that our culture routinely interprets these losses and griefs as alien invasions, interruptions to our normal lives. And what I hear in that is that actually we should expect and hold space for grief and loss in our life. Now, this doesn't mean we need, all need to be Debbie Downers, okay? Sorry if your name is Debbie. Um, but like, seriously, this is not like, okay, it's all, it's all just gonna go bad. It's all gonna be really bad. Like, that's not what I think he wants us to hear in this. He wants us to say, this is a part of life. And that's what I think Jesus, what Paul's trying to say is that this, we actually carry around death in our bodies. We carry this with us. We shouldn't be surprised when we see evil. But we often are. Why? Why are we so surprised? It's because loss is so hard. And it is built into us for survival, to avoid hard. <laughs> to say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go through that. And so, yes, it's, it's going to feel like, yeah, I don't want this to interrupt my life. And there's these cultural beliefs from Western culture, American culture, that if your life isn't going, let's see, 
up and to the right. I need to change my direction there. If your life is not going up and to the right, you are doing something wrong. That's a lie. I think we all experienced that in a new way with the COVID-19 pandemic, right? What do we do wrong? But yet we all experience this loss. So this cultural belief that we should just be successful and everything in our life should go right to the next in progression is a lie. And so when losses come into our lives and when grief happens in our life, that's because we're human. That's because we're human. We don't work our way out of a need for Jesus as Christians. We need Jesus more and more. So when we face our limitations and when we come to these bumps in the road, that's an invitation to say, okay, are you here, God? What are you trying to show me? Why, why is loss so hard and why is it hard to hold space for this in our lives as not an interruption, but just a part of life? It's because, ooh, we love doing things by ourselves. There is a very strong, very strong, which I think, if I'm gonna name it, is from Satan, <laughs> is this Western, let's pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and I'm gonna get through it myself mentality. And then we wonder why we're so lonely. And I'm not trying to blame us, but this is what we're all raised with, especially in Minnesota. I'm from California, it's there too, but it's really strong out here because you gotta get through these winters, man. Like, I can do it by myself. And there's kind of this expectation. It's like, okay, we'll send you to your grief group. You'll do your little like communal thing. And then please be done so we can move on with our lives. Right? It's because we don't, it, it's, I don't think it's because we want people to do it alone. We just don't know how to do it with them. Right? The U.S. is just so individualized. It's just our, our knee-jerk response is to do things by ourselves and then to emerge back into society as we're all fine. We went through our loss. We went through our grief. But no, we need to develop some practices of going through the grit with people. It is all over scripture. Esther 4, there's a genocide coming and Mordecai could not be silenced. He's putting on the sackcloth and ashes. He's yelling. She even sends people to make him be quiet. Stop making such a noise. No, you don't understand. Grief and loss and death are coming for you too, Queen Esther. So she joins in. She said, I'll, I'll fast and I'll pray. Let's do this together. How can we do our losses? How can we journey with people together so that we're not navigating these losses, these griefs by ourselves. Lent is actually meant to do that. The season that is before Easter is to help us to identify with Jesus's sufferings and say, how have we failed? How can we turn towards him? So our cultural toolkit doesn't set us up for success is all I'm trying to say. So if you're like, why am I so bad at grief and loss? Because everybody's bad at grief and loss. It's kind of an American pandemic itself. 
Because our cultural toolkit says medicate it, numb it, ignore it. Go to the funeral and be done. That's really one of the only rituals we have left of really leaning into grief and loss. So that's why the church becomes so important is to help people move through that, not move on from that, from the losses in our lives. And you know, this is, this is a Minnesota thing. Hey, how are you? It's like a greeting. Actually listen to the response. Just an idea. Like in California, when people ask you that question, they actually wanna hear your response. I was a little shocked when I moved to Minnesota. I'd say, hey, how are you? They'd keep walking down the hall. I was like, what? Where? <laughs> Maybe I'm hitting a chord here because it's hard to be there when someone says, you know, it's actually been a tough day. That's where communal experience starts with listening. That's how we hold space when people say it's actually not going well. To listen to say, I'm going to put down my toolkit of numbing stuff or just watching something. I'm going to lean into the things that I'm feeling. I'm going to call that person that I know is having a hard time. And so I really believe, what, what part of our relationship with God are we missing out on if we're not bringing these griefs and losses to him and not believing that Jesus is going to show up there? So, Move on. I know. We're like, okay, whew, this is heavy. Okay. Um, what then in this scripture did you notice? One of the things that I noticed is just how much the body is talked about. Now, he's not talking about the body of Christ, even though there is some like communal stuff here. He's actually talking about the physical human body here, where he says, death and Jesus' life are carried around in your body. And this is some wisdom that, you know, Paul might not have known from a psychotherapy perspective, but guess what? Grief and loss are experienced in the body the same way we, the brain processes pain in the body, physical pain. Like the same places in our brain are lit up when we're experiencing pain and when someone says a very terrible word to us or when our friend that we love doesn't call us back over and over, when we're going through a divorce, when we've lost someone that we love, when we're going through depression. The brain processes that pain the same as when you're recovering from a broken leg. And isn't it interesting that we would give someone at least six weeks to heal from a broken leg? So how can we hold space for these things? And I think one of the things that we can grow in is that we often try to think our way through loss, right? Through in a cognitive place. But have you noticed that it doesn't really work? If you keep thinking about something, you're just gonna keep thinking about it. That's why other parts of our body actually go offline because what happens is that we process grief and loss in our amygdala, which is the brain stem where we process our thoughts is up here in our cognitive brain, the prefrontal cortex. This is on high alert. This shuts off when we're in survival mode because when you're in pain, you're going into survival mode in, in your body. 
And so we can't think our way through loss. We're just trying to notice and to breathe because you're either trying to fight something and, and freeze or you're just going into self-protection mode. And so that's why so many therapies are focused on the body when it comes to trauma or PTSD. It's actually, there's wisdom from where you are experiencing discomfort in your body. You can't notice it here. Where do you feel that pit in your stomach? When do you feel that? When are you feeling stress in your shoulders? Being able to notice those things, that's when you're gonna start to notice, am I, am I going through a loss in my life? Maybe that's why I, my appetite's gone. Those things are gonna be your first clues rather than, oh, I'm having a hard time. So there's wisdom in taking care of your body and slowing down and just sleeping more. Reaching out and, and taking some time off of work. We have to make space for this in our lives because that, I believe, is where God is going to reveal himself. So I want to read something from um, a psychology hub called discover.com and science and psychology kind of coming together. Grieving is a protective process. It's an evolutionary adaption to help us survive in the face of emotional trauma. It's the way that grief manifests from depression to hopelessness to dissociative symptoms to emotional pain. It's just evidence of an altered brain function. So how do you heal an emotionally traumatized brain? You have to embrace the changes that are happening in the brain instead of thinking that you're losing your mind. You have to embrace the changes that are happening in the brain instead of thinking you're losing your mind. So the third thing I want us to hang on to is to invite. We do. Jesus is not going to force anything on us to invite, to let Jesus change you through grief and loss. Let him. I really believe that God's not just going to force his way into your life. An invitation to Jesus to say, I'm open. Because scientifically, the brain actually wires differently after a loss. It's, it, it says, I'm not going to go that direction anymore. That person is gone. Or I don't know how to walk down that path anymore. I don't know life not being a parent anymore. And so there's new ways that I need to re-understand my world. And we... We don't move on from grief, right? We move through it. And that's what I think like the neural pathways are just a fancy way of saying like ways that you have thought about things. The ways that, I mean, you hopefully know how to brush your teeth, right? I hope everybody knows how to brush your teeth in this room. But like you've done that so many times, you know exactly, you don't even have to think about it. But maybe if you haven't gone through this certain loss in your life, you have no idea how to move forward. And so to reach out and to say, Jesus, change me. Like going up to this scripture, there's so many opportunities to pray, to reach out and to say, when I'm afflicted, when I'm perplexed, when I'm persecuted, there's hope in there because we're not destroyed, but we're always carrying around the death of, body, of Jesus in our bodies. We're giving up, being given up to death, but 
the promise is that there's life. There's new life. Not just try harder to, to get through the loss, but there's new life and new ways to understand the world. Trauma can be healed. I've learned um, through the adoption realm that so often kids are being diagnosed with ADHD, but they actually just have emotional trauma. They have these losses in their lives. And we're just like, oh, that must be ADHD. Quick, give them some medication. And I'm not trying to say that. Like, if your child has, you know, if you have ADHD, their medication can do amazing things. But we mistake some of these things for just before we do that. How can we help this kid understand the loss and not growing up in their birth family? Then maybe they can slow their body down a little better. Maybe then they feel at home or attached to their family of their adoptive family now. Just in this example, we have to help these kids in that example to create new pathways, new ways of accepting being loved. So I'm not going to have us do this here, but there's an opportunity in your small groups, and um, I really invite you to do this on your own. If you um, have a partner, to do this with them, to discuss this with somebody. I want you to try out dwelling and just reading slowly Psalm 88. Now, Psalm 88 is um, the only psalm that doesn't end in a, a lament psalm, excuse me, that doesn't end in a praise. And it has some words for God. <laughs> and I'm pretty, I can't remember if David wrote this one or not, but it has some words for God. Like, they're mad. Like, they're real mad at God. They blame God. They throw all sorts of things at God. And it's an experiment to say, can I talk to God? Can I be that vulnerable with God when I'm experiencing loss in my life? Or do I try to make excuses for God? Or do I think that God can't handle that? I mean, if, if that was written in our day, I think it would have some different words. <laughs> to really say, where are you, God? And I think that God can handle it. I actually did an experiment with this this last fall. I have a spiritual director, and if you want to know what that is, if you're not familiar with those, I'd be happy to share you more. But a companion who's listening to God on your behalf with you. And she said, I think you really need to give God some, mm. I said, okay. I mean, I've been in ministry for 12 years, and I'm, I've told other people to really lay it out before God. She's like, you need to go back and say, I'm mad for these ways that you didn't show up for me, God. Do we believe that our relationship with God can hold that, that type of honesty? It was painful. It was painful. And Psalm 88 helped me get there. So how do you interact with God when you're in pain? You reach out, you make excuses. Just wonder. There's no right answer here. There's no right answer. So that's an activity I want to invite you into. Another one, and you can do this in a small group or by yourself, is actually logging your losses. If you're like, what's a loss? Look it up in the dictionary. Like, honestly, like, see, it. it's, it's when something is absent in our life. Note those seasons of grief and your losses, the things that 
you're like, wow, I don't, I didn't know what that transition meant in my life, or I don't know why that was so hard for me to go back and do that over 2021. And if that feels like way too long of a time frame to do that, that's okay. Do it over the last month. We're not good at identifying these things. And if we can't identify them, we're probably not going to invite God into them. When God might actually want to meet us there. Mother Teresa, I think, is someone who is totally worth admiring. One of the things that I've been reminded of when I feel like God is distant from me, she said for 40 years, she did not hear from Jesus. She said she did not feel God's presence. 40 years of her life. She said it was a time I felt Jesus, I could, it was a time I felt when that since I couldn't hear his voice, I felt invited into his suffering. That's a part of our spirituality that I think many of us are afraid to lean into. But how might Jesus change you through the griefs and the losses in our lives? So as I close, I want to give you some takeaways because you're like, okay, you've helped me think about some of these things and noticing that in my body. I want to let Jesus change me, but how do I journey with God through this? One, pay attention to the pain. Pay attention to it, as hard as it is. Notice the things that are causing pain and hurt in your life. Read Job, the Psalms, journal, cry, yell, swear. I have a friend who just says, prayers and swears. That's her shirt. She had a t-shirt made, prayers and swears, 2020. And then she made another one for 2021. It was too bad, right? We just all thought it was going to end. But pay attention to the pain. We are a changed culture because of COVID. That is a perfect example of how grief and loss changes us. So in your own personal life, in your family's life, at the dinner table, what was a high? What was a low? What was hard about today? Secondly, wait in the confusing in between. I think this is the worst part because it's just a place where we have loss of control. We don't know what's coming next. And wonder where God is in that. This is a practice of surrender to say, I, I trust you, God. And then the third being allow the old to give birth to the new. And I wanna say as good evangelical Christians, we are really quick to rush this last one. And we're quick to say things to, to friends who are going through grief and loss. And we'll say, yes, just, you know, God's going to do something for you. We don't, we don't know how God's going to show up for people in their lives. So we can say, God is with you. I'm with you. Tell me more about why that's painful. But let's not, let's not overpromise. Because <laughs> God wants to show up personally for people. Yes, I 100% believe that. And God, we can know, yes, Revelation 21, like the old is, is being made new. But let's not rush there because God is also doing something and wants to meet you in the grief and the loss. So I hope that you can walk away with some takeaways and I hope this, this evening that you 
have a renewed courage to be honest with God. I love Jesus' example in the garden. And I can invite the band back up. I think that you guys are probably coming up next is my guess. <laughs> Jesus' example in the garden, he says, take it away. Does it really have to be done this way? Do I have to go through so much loss? Do I have to be so distant from you on the cross where God, God the Father like turns his face away? Where Jesus experiences that loneliness because he, he did that so we could know that he knows what it's like. It says he empathized in every single one of our weaknesses in Hebrew 4. Hebrews 4. I pray that we can be near to God, not just hoping he prevents us from suffering, but to know that he meets us there. Let me pray as I close. Lord Jesus, I don't know who might be feeling like they're in a garden with you right now. Take it away, God. And we know that the enemy is also at work. And so Lord, would you bring your would you bring your protection and would you bring your strength? to say, I'm with you and I'm gonna shoulder up under this burden with you. And Lord, would you help us as a church, would you help Restoration Covenant to be people who listen, who hold the space with each other in the hard places and trust, even without saying anything, that you are making the old things give birth to new. Would you help us to be in the confusing in between? Would you help us to pay attention to the pain and call out to you in honesty and prayer? Grow us up, God. Not in like a pull ourselves up, but Lord, you show us our next step in processing our losses with you and our griefs with you and with one another. I believe, Lord, where two or more are gathered, there you are also in the conflict, in the pain, in the loss. Bring your healing and bring your hope. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.